is John G. We'll be reading from John 17 today. If you're using our Pew Bibles, it's on page 1001. Once you get there, say Happy Thanksgiving. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be, become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and I love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. We are glad that you're here and glad that you've chosen to be with us today. Hopefully you had a blessed Thanksgiving and ate too much food and we'll be eating on the leftovers for days to come, right? Um, sometimes the leftovers might be better the second time for the Thanksgiving meal, right? Second time around. So, hey, we're so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, welcome. Um, we are ending our series that we have been in on a journey through the upper room 
room. So if it's your first Sunday here, you can go to our website. You can check it out. We've been in this thing for 10 plus weeks. And we've been walking through chapters, uh, John chapter 13 through 17. And just to give you a little preview to let you know what is coming, starting next Sunday, we will begin Advent. And Advent is that season of preparation and anticipation as we wait and celebrate the birth of Jesus, but also it's twofold. We also wait in anticipation for Jesus' second coming. This is a good spot for an amen because Jesus is coming again. Amen. And that's what the whole season of Advent is. This place transforms. We sing some of your favorite songs, and it is a wonderful time. I just want to lay this before you. Um, statistics show that um, a non-believer or someone who doesn't attend church around this holiday season is like 80 to 90% likely to take you up on the offer that if you invite them to come to church during this season. And so I just want you to be missionally focused during this time of year. I know a lot of it turns inward and we got to knock out the list and we got to do this and we got this family function and we got this program and all of that. But I always want you to be mission minded and to remember that those who might be having a tough time during the holiday season or those who don't have a church family to invite them to come and to worship with us. I tell you what, um, I was a little bit sad in preparing this sermon because we are ending our journey together. And um, for me, anytime we teach through a book of the Bible or a portion of scripture, you know, I read a ton, I plan, I study ahead. But then when we get to the end of it is only when I really think, oh, I think I understand it now. And it's almost like I want to go back and like reteach it. If you teach or if you're a school teacher, you understand that. It's like at the end of the lesson once you've taught it. But man, it has been such a journey. And just to recap, um, why did we do this series? And, and really the reason why we did that was to understand what the church's purpose is. Why do we exist? Jesus is talking to his disciples and he is passing off the ministry to them. He's going to go back to the Father. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to resurrect three days later. Oh, you guys not excited about the resurrection or something, right? He's going to resurrect three days later. Right? And he's going to leave his ministry with the disciples. And so what he says in the upper room discourse is crucial to understanding as to who we are as a church. But we see the big C church's purpose as well. And the purpose of the church is to make disciples who make disciples. That's the purpose of the church. It's not attendance. Hey, listen, it's not even just conversions, though that's really important, and you have to be converted before you're a disciple. But oftentimes we think it's just to gather people in a room and, and to get them saved and, and this, that, or the other. But the reality is, is the church's purpose is to make disciples who then in turn turn around and make disciples. And listen, when you understand this, your journey in your life makes complete sense. Because, because oftentimes we sit around and we wonder, like, God, God, why did I go through that season of suffering? Or, God, what was the purpose of, of the divorce? Or, 
or the addiction or God, God, why did I go through that? And the reality is, is the purpose of your story is to share your story with someone who's going through the same thing. And when you begin to understand that your story is not about you, but it's about you turning around and pouring into other people so they in turn turn around and pour in, what would happen if we understood that that was our purpose? But it wasn't just the big C church, but it's also what is Westside's unique purpose right here in Popper Bluff, Missouri? Like, like, yes, there is the big church's purpose, but, but God has seen it fit to place us in this season of time right now for such a time as this, for what reason? And, and if you remember at the beginning of the series, we said this, that Westside's unique purpose is to invite people who are familiar with Jesus to follow Jesus with our family. That's our unique purpose. And the reason why it's unique is because of the word familiar right here. I have a great burden here in Popper Bluff, Missouri, home of Dollar General's, the Mexican restaurants and car dealerships, right? If there is something being built, if you guess one of those three things, you have a great probability of guessing what is going in right there. And, and for in our unique uh, area, it's like everyone's familiar with, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, or, oh, my grandma went, or, oh, you know, I remember Christmas and Easter. And But the reality is, is when we see the call to be an upper room disciple that Jesus had thousands of people that followed him thousands of people that were familiar with him but there was only a few that followed him to that upper room and only a few who answered the call we believe that our church's unique purpose is to move people from being familiar with Jesus to following Jesus with our church family. And, and here's what's interesting, and here's what we've learned in this series. Sometimes it can get so complicated. Man, I think that, that just us really as human beings love to complicate stuff, and especially Christians, and especially when it comes to the church. We love to complicate things. But I think a lot of times we're confused. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does that even mean to follow Jesus? And the reality is this. We follow Jesus by taking the next step. Right? It's crazy, right? It's crazy. Um, we follow Jesus by simply taking the next right step. And what we've done is we've said that through this series, we've, we've walked through these chapters and we've pulled out principles and we've said that this is a mark because of what was said by Jesus in these verses. This is a mark of an upper room disciple. And we've used this as sort of a journey and stepping stone for our steps. And so we started out and we said, we start with being humble in service. Like before Jesus taught anything, this is crazy. Before Jesus taught anything, he did something. And that's a word for some of us. You see, some of us are either like service oriented and we're like, ah, oh, man, I mean, when it comes to teaching and Bible study and this, that and the other, we just need to feed the hungry, man. We just need to feed the, 
Amen. That's a, that's, a, that's a great, yes, amen. But um, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, so yes, we feed the hungry, and we also share the gospel, and we study our Bible. And then some of us over here are like, doctrine man, we need to study the right stuff. And, and, and the word for you is oftentimes you end up in a room by yourself, surrounded by books, just studying. And then somebody posts something on Facebook and you crack your knuckles and you're like, this is my moment right here. And you get in that comment section and you wear, hey, listen, before Jesus taught anything, he, he did something. And he washed the disciples' feet. And we said the first mark is humble in service. Second um, was real positive. We said that we're honest about sin. Um, that, that here at this church, because we believe Jesus did, is that we call sin, sin. Anything that is outside the very will of God, God's design. And it's so funny, right? Like, um, when we see in Genesis, like, God created, I don't know, the universe, okay? Nobody's mad about, like, where Jupiter is. Nobody's like, Saturn I can't believe Saturn's there, man. That's the worst place in the world to put a planet. Are you Like, nobody cares about that, right? But then when Jesus is like, hey, you know, this is how you should handle money, then we're like, Pfft. I mean, did he really say that? I mean, right, what's the original language, right? Like, anything outside of God's good order is sin. But, but here's what we said. We don't, we don't just want to be honest about sin, we also want to be honest about how God has dealt with sin. And the good news is that God loves sinners. Amen? So we're humble in service, we're honest about sin, and then healthy in community. That, that you cannot study the upper room discourse in these chapters alone and by yourself. And I know that's a real popular thing. Like, well, I don't need the church, Pastor. I just, I get my Bible and I go on my back deck and I turn on Joel Osteen and mm, I just, mm, I just love, it's just me and the Lord. Just, oh, just, just right. Hey, hey, listen, love you. That's great. I think you can listen to a better preacher. But anyway, there's, you know, some other stuff there with that but um like when people say well like I'm a Christian but I don't need the church that's like saying I'm married but I don't need to go home right like like I'm married but I don't have to go home like just survey how's your marriage going right not well okay not well it's the same thing when it comes to that and you can't these men live their lives together you don't study this in isolation but we're healthy in community living life and by the way the church is not just a place that you pour out. See, like, this is where we become the elder brother and become almost prideful. And we think, like, oh, this is my little community that I pour into and I invest in all. Like, who's pouring into you? Who, who are you submitting to? Who has access to your life? You see, we're healthy in community, but then we said we're hopeful in heart that one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian, especially this day and age, with, oh, the world, oh, did you see the news, oh, this, oh, that, oh, we got, we got monkeypox, and we got the, oh, my goodness, and we got the, did you see what's going on in the world? And, and it's just, oh, it's just, everything's down, everything's down. And Jesus says, um, actually, 
my followers are hopeful in their heart because they know the victory that I have won. One of the distinguishing marks of Christians is that we don't have our head down hiding in a bunker afraid somewhere, but our head is held high because we know that the victory belongs to Jesus. And so we are hopeful in heart that we spread the joy, that we're hopeful in heart, but also this, the list started to get pretty big and we were like, sheesh, this is a lot of stuff for me to do. And we said, um, this isn't a list for you to do because, by the way, this is impossible. We said the Christian life is a supernatural life. We've got to get back to that. I mean, think about what Jesus talks about forgiveness, even in the Lord's prayer. Like, forgiveness is a basic elementary doctrine in the Christian faith. And think about how impossible it is for us to try to forgive on our own. That's why we are helped by the Spirit. That, that the same thing that Jesus asks of us, he also empowers and gives us, which is the very Spirit of God. And we said that we learned about who the Holy Spirit is, the third member of the Trinity. What does the Holy Spirit do? The convicting us and the comforting and all. The Holy Spirit is what constantly nudges us forward to take the next step. And then we said that we are home in Jesus. That there is a word that Jesus uses over and over again, and it's the word abide. And we talked about the tension you know, we said that the Christian life should kind of be like when you leave town and stay at a hotel. It's kind of like you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're like, oh man, where am I? And you know, you try to set your hotel room up, and you're like, oh, it just doesn't, it's not comfortable, just doesn't really feel right. That's how Christians should live in this world. We should not feel like this is home. We should not feel all cozy and settled in, but rather our home is with Jesus, abiding and growing in our relationship with him. And we said that our lives should bear fruit or evidence of that, that we're home in Jesus. And, and this was real positive, um, that we're also hated by the enemy, right? Remember we said that we've never seen that sign in Hobby Lobby, Right? Hated by the enemy. Come on in, right? You know, um, Jesus said that um, if you're not at home in this world, then, then you better prepare yourself because the world will hate you. And, and that's a fact. We talked about that, right? Why is it on um, The Simpsons that the um, Homer's neighbors, Ned Flanders, right? Why, why is he not a Buddhist? Anyone, right? Why, why is it when, you know, we hit our thumb with a hammer, it's like, oh, you know, we take the Lord's name in vain. We're not like, oh, Muhammad, you know, right? Why? Because that's a cultural thing, that we are not at home here and that we are hated by the enemy. But we said, take heart, because if you are hated by the enemy, then it's good news that you're following Jesus, that there is opposition in this. And then we said that we're hated by the enemy, but we're also holy in lifestyle. And holy means to be separate and distinct. Listen, this is a fundamental understanding, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that your life should be different than non-believers. The way you date, the way you handle money, 
the way you live. Like, this is not a category of our life. And then we have these other categories. But rather, this is the rule for our life. This rules and reigns over every area in our life. And we said, by the way, holy doesn't mean better. Okay, we, we need to clarify that. It's not like, oh, I'm better than you. Christians have gotten a bad rap on that. If anything, Christians understand grace. And we understand that we are sinners and that we have fallen short and that Jesus died in my place for my sins and that but for the grace of God, there go I. That's what it is to be a Christian. And then we learned that we are happy in suffering. We learned about what it is to suffer, that this world is broken, man. But at the end of the day, the joy, the peace, and the love, that we have to be taking these things in in order to persevere while the pressure is turned on. And so um, for some of you type A's or those of you who like stats, you know, you're kind of like, well, you know, pastor, how's this series affected our church? I mean, what's the bottom line here, right? What's going on? Well, um, we've been in this for over 10 weeks, and it's been a pretty incredible journey, quite honestly. Um, just, just listen to what the Lord has done in our midst since we started this in August. Over 40 people have signed up to serve in different areas of ministry who've never served before. 25, over 25 plus people completed the connection class and have become family members here at the church. We've seen seven people accept Jesus Christ over these past weeks. We've baptized 11 people during this series. It's incredible. We've had a 26% increase in attendance from last year, also an increase in giving, and we've also hired two new staff members to take care of the needs that have been going on here in the church. I mean, are you guys not excited about any of that stuff? Right? I mean, the Lord is doing things here, and it all has to do with this, just taking the next step. Doing away with the mentality of, oh, well, well, that's for someone else, or, well, I'm sure other people are involved, and, and no, no, no. Westside only grows corporately as we grow individually as followers of Jesus Christ. You see, we are answering the call to go and join the upper room. And so I know, like, I know we need something practical. Like, some of you are probably asking this question, like, man, where do I start? How do I apply this? What do I do? Where do I begin with any of this stuff? And it's really the main point of chapter 17 today. And the way that all of this is packaged, and I love the way that Jesus ends this. The answer, where do you start? How do you apply this? Where do you begin? The answer is very simple, and it's this, prayer. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That's how it's sustained. That's what allows us to get through. All of chapter 17 is Jesus praying. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in the entire Bible. 
It's incredible. One scholar called chapter 17 the Holy of Holies. Another scholar called it the Mount Everest of the Bible, that we have the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, very God from God, very light from light, praying to his Father. It's like cracking the door and eavesdropping and listening to Jesus. But why? Why is prayer sort of like the lifeblood to the Christian life? I mean, the amount of times the Apostle Paul says to pray, labor with me in prayer. It's interesting. The disciples didn't ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to preach. Lord, teach us how to do miracles. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they knew being around Jesus, they saw him leave. They saw him praying constantly. Well, it's because of sort of this fundamental truth that communication is the key to any relationship. I mean, like, let's not just get all theological and stuff here. Let's just go from a relational standpoint. If following Jesus is about being in a relationship and not a religion, I love the song we sang. Shake the foundations of my tradition, of the things I've held on to that aren't even in your word, any of that stuff. Shake it down because I want you. I want a relationship with you. Well, communication is key. And you know that to be true in, the, in your relationships as well, right? And so, so what does the communication look like with God? I mean, we could get very ethereal, like, ooh, God, all this stuff. But let's break it down, man. Bust this thing down like Legos, okay? Well, um, God speaks to us through the scriptures. Thus saith the Lord, right? And so many of us are like, oh, I've got this going on in my life. Oh, I want to hear from God. Oh, I want to, you know. And we're like looking everywhere to like hear from God. And our Bible is on the shelf collecting dust. Like, complaining about not hearing from God and not reading your Bible is like complaining about your cell phone not working and you got that joker turned off, okay? A hundred percent of the time, you can bank on God speaking to you through his word. God speaks to us in the scriptures, and then we speak back to God in prayer. It's, it's this beautiful combination that, that God speaks to us and then we speak to God. And in ending this series and understanding Jesus' prayer is so appropriate, do you know why? In all of my years, hands down, bar none, the primary way that God forms us into disciples is through prayer. No doubt. Hands down. Why do you think it's the discipline of prayer and Bible reading that always crawls off the table? Right? It's all, like, I've never met a Christian who's, like, super satisfied with their prayer life. It's always like, man, I would love to do that more. I would love to get involved. I'd love to find, you know, the rule, the discipline, try to figure that out. Because the evidence shows that one of the primary ways that God forms us and molds us and shapes us is through prayer. And prayer is not asking God for a bunch of stuff. But prayer is really, thy will be done. It's learning to submit and understand who God is. The early church understood this. And, and the early church had a very famous phrase that was in Latin. It was lex ordini, lex credendi, lex vivendi. 
The law of what is prayed is what is believed is the law of what is lived. Translation, how you pray shows what you believe and what you believe is shown in how you live. I'll never forget a man saying to me one time who had walked a while with Jesus and had been in church, and he said, I learned over all these years that I can find more out about a person through 10 minutes of prayer than going to church with them for 10 years. Hands down. That is what it is when it comes to prayer. So what's the last mark? What do we do? And the last mark is very simply this. Upper room disciples hear from God in prayer. That's what I see in chapter 17. That's how Jesus ends this entire thing. Now, when you look at chapter 17, it can be broke down. But before we do that, I want you to know something. We really, really believe in prayer here at Westside. And so much so, one of our board members, Alan Baum, has started what's known as the Boiler Room Prayer Ministry. And that meets before service at 8.30. They pray from 8.30 to 9.30 or however long it takes. There's structured prayer. There's free prayer. They pray for you. They pray for congregants by name. They pray for needs. Listen, if, if, if you feel like this is a word and, and a step that God is calling you to take, you need to be a part of this. All is required of you is to come at 8.30. And, and to be, you will learn and you will grow in prayer. And, and to hear from Alan and Vicki of how people who are in there and have been there for a long time are growing in their prayer life. Listen, prayer is never the school we graduate from. We never graduate from prayer. It's how it starts. It's how it's sustained all the way to the end. And so in this chapter, chapter 17, it's really broken down three ways. I mean, it's, it's a very famous way to break it down. It's very practical. And you see how Jesus prays. And this is a great, maybe you have no idea how to pray. I would recommend the Lord's Prayer to you. Just literally line by line, word by word, say that over and over again. Allow those words to meditate and marinate. But we see how Jesus prays in chapter 17 in the context the first couple of verses, Jesus prays for himself. By the way, like, that's crazy. You know, God praying for himself. Um, question, if Jesus needed to pray for himself, we should probably learn how to pray for ourselves, right? So in the first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. And then you see Jesus praying um, for sort of believers. He's praying for the disciples, he says very specifically, I'm not praying for the world right now. I'm praying for those whom you've given me. And man, studying those verses 6 through 19 will teach you how to pray for believers. And then at the end, he prays for non-believers or, check this out, this is crazy. Jesus prays for us because he transitions in the prayer and he says, now, Father, I'm praying for those who will believe. Robert Murray McShane, an old dead guy that you don't care about, used to say this. He said, if you could hear Jesus praying for you in the next room, you would not fear, dear friend, to charge the very gates of hell. Oh, that's good, man. To know that Jesus has prayed for, and what does he pray? He prayed for unity. 
He prayed that the church would be one. How interesting it is that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, the defining mark of the church, the thing that will get the world's attention is that the church is unified around me together, and that in a world of division, in a world of hostility, in a world of political this, and these ideologies and all of that, there is a group of humble people who know they're no better than the grace that saved them, who are unified around Jesus. Do you know who's welcome here? Only sinners are welcome at Westside. That's it. I'm sorry, brother, but, but, but if you're not a sinner, you're not welcome here at the church, right? And, and then sometimes as a pastor, you know, somebody will try to get you in a corner, you know. Well, you know, what do you do about these people? And, hey, man, are these people welcome here? And I always look at them and I go, we let you in? What are you talking about, those people? What do you mean, man? We let you in the room, right? Listen, we are unified only by the very grace of God. But as I was looking at this chapter, I was blown away. I, I felt like I saw it afresh for the first time. You know, I could walk through these points, and here's how you pray for yourself, and here's how you pray for believers, and here's that. That'd be great, right? You can do that on your own. That's awesome. But when I understood the context of the chapter being prayer, and then I started seeing it, I started seeing this list of everything that God has for us. Jesus makes these wild statements in the chapter of stuff like, Father, you have given them. Or, or Father, you have loved me, and now I have given your love to them. And, and I started compiling, it's almost like a list of resources. Because literally, I know, we, and by the way, this list isn't going anywhere. It's going to be up here for a while. You're going to have to see it all the time because God forbid we try to apply it to our life, right? Okay, and, and this is like a measuring mark for you of what's my next step? What do I need to do? But when I started seeing the resources that God has given us in Christ through prayer, I was blown away. See if you see this list. Um, the first thing, Jesus gives us eternal life. Verse 2, Jesus prays for us in verse 9 and verse 20. The Father protects us. The God that created the universe is looking out for you. He's literally protecting you. He sees the enemy. He knows the hardship, but he's not going to let you fail. Jesus gives us God's word Verses 8 through 14, Jesus sets us apart, makes us holy. Jesus unifies us. By the way, that is the thing that unifies the church. There is one thing that we gather around, and it is the name and glory and fame of Jesus Christ. Do not ask me, is this a conservative church? Is this a progressive church? Is this a, pfft, you're not going to get along very well here if you start asking me those questions. There is one person that we are gathered around, and it is Jesus Christ. That's what unifies us. Jesus unifies us. Jesus gives us the Father's love. Jesus is in us. Jesus shows us the Father. Like, we, we can't ask the question, I wonder what God is like. 
Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've, you've seen the Father. Look at what God has given us. But listen, we have to understand the context. We have everything we need. Guys, we have everything we need already. God has given it to us. Listen, the Christian life is not a life of striving and trying to gain what you do not have. The Christian life is learning how to not strive for your identity and rest in who God has already made you to be. That's what the Christian life is. And that is why it goes directly against what we're used to. But understanding the context of it, listen, we can possess the promises of God through prayer. That's where we claim them. That's where we lay hold of them, is in the throne room of prayer. And maybe we don't know what to pray, and maybe our faith is low because it's low on prayer and the very promises of God. Faith comes by hearing, but hearing through the word of God. Do you know what I, my great fear as we end this series is? Is that we would close the chapter on this series and we would put it on the shelf and Every once in a while, we'd talk about, oh, remember the upper room? That was fun. That was good. But we would forget what we have access to and how we lay hold of these things through prayer. It reminded me of a story that I had read years ago, and it's about a lady by the name of Margaret Wise Brown. Does the name sound familiar, Margaret Wise Brown, to anybody? She's an author. Um, she's authored a few books, but one in particular I bet you have in your house. Margaret Wise Brown is the author of the famous children's book, Good Night Moon. You got that in your house? It's a great one, right? Um, she wrote the book because she grew up as a little girl, um, sleeping in the same bed as her sister, uh, terrified to go to bed at night. And so for the routine, they would look around the room and say goodnight to everything in the room. And then the last thing was always goodnight moon. Um, when Margaret wrote the book, it didn't take off, and, and the publisher was actually pretty disappointed. She was um, seeking a deadline and so thought, oh, I love this, and she loved it because it was so near and dear to her heart. And the book didn't become very, very well known right off the get-go. Um, Margaret uh, Brown, her sister ended up dying and, and she didn't have any family around as she got older in age. And so she lived in a big populated city and her neighbors next door was the Clark family. So the Clark family would uh, ask her over for Thanksgiving and holidays and all of those things. And she had no family. She had never married or anything. And so Margaret was on a, a book tour one day and she died of a heart attack. And the Clark family was contacted by a lawyer, and they said, hey, we just want to let you know that uh, Miss Margaret Brown has made your family the beneficiary of her entire state, estate, but not just the estate. In particular, um, your youngest son, Adam Clark, has been named the beneficiary to the entire royalties of Goodnight Moon. Just to catch you up to date, Goodnight Moon has sold now 48 
million copies. It is by far one of the greatest selling books of all time, hands down. A Wall Street Journal uh, a journalist thought it was so interesting and ran this article. He wanted to catch up on Adam Clark and see what had become of Miss Margaret Brown's entire fortune and estate. Well, much to the cliche story, the Clark family, when they inherited and started gaining so much money, the checks were small in the beginning. And when the, when the book began to circulate, massive amounts of money came in. It affected the family. The family split. Adam, the one who was the beneficiary of it all, um, squandered it on a lot of business deals. When the Wall Street journalist met with him, he asked, how much was your last royalty check? And Adam said, well, it was for the last quarter only, and it was around $314,000. I mean, these checks just coming in all the time. So as the journalist ends the article, he sees all the brokenness. He asks this question. Don't miss it. When I read it, I just cried. The Wall Street Journal asks Adam Clark, so... After all is said and done and you knew Miss Margaret and how this book has affected your life, what do you think of it? To which Adam Clark said, think of what? And the journalist said, well, the book. Good night, moon. What's your opinion of it? To which Adam Clark bowed his head and said, you know, I've never read it. I've never read it. And when I read that, I had tears going down my cheek because I thought, so many of us as Christians live that way. We have no idea the access of what has been given to us. So in closing, as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, listen, here's how we're going to end this series to be as practical as possible. As we journey through this series... What has been one of the marks that has stuck out to you? When it comes to the application, what has been um, a next step, if you will? What is the next step that the Spirit is calling you to take? Just you personally. When you see those 10 marks, is it to get involved in serving? Is it to be separate in lifestyle? What are those things the second question is this, who are you on this journey with? There is no way that we can study these chapters, 13 through 17, where it was collectively Jesus and all of his disciples together and live in isolation and not be involved in one another. And listen, not just who are you pouring into, but the question is this, who is pouring into you? Who are you walking this journey with? And then here's the challenge. What would your life look like if you took one of those marks once a month and you prayed over it? That would be crazy, right? To end the series, like how Jesus ended the series and like actually pray and stuff like that, right? What if, what if for the next so many months, the next year, what if this is your plan for the next year, right? Because it's coming. January's coming, you're going to be asking about Bible reading plans and all this stuff. And what, do we, what if you just took one of the marks a month and you prayed about it? 
and you ask God to reveal what your next steps are. My great fear is that we would be like Adam Clark and we would reap sort of the the tertiary benefits of this thing in our life, but not even know the source of what's impacted us. Father God, we come before you and at the close of this, Jesus, we ask that this is not the end, but rather this is now the beginning. For some of us now, we see the path as clearly as we have ever seen it before. To see the list of resources that you have given us, Father, in Christ, we have everything we need. And so many of us in the room today are exhausted from striving and trying to work and do. But what if you're calling us to simply rest and to let go for the first time? and to trust you. Holy Spirit, comfort those who need comforting, those who labor, strengthen their hands, encourage their hearts. And Holy Spirit, convict those of us who need convicting. Push us to the next step and show us. And may we know that we are beneficiaries to the greatest love the world has ever known. May that change our lives forever. Have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.